Volume two, chapter fourteen of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Volume two, chapter fourteen. The entry. It was very nearly midnight when Mowbray returned from his visit to Sir Gilbert Harrington's. To his great surprise, he found Helen waiting for him, even in the hall. For the moment she heard the doorbell, she ran out to meet him. "'Why are you up so late, Helen?' he exclaimed. "'And for heaven's sake, tell me what makes you look so pale. "'Where is Rosalind?' "'She is in bed. She has been in tears all day. "'I made her go to bed. But, oh, Charles, my mother, she has left the house.' "'Gracious heaven, what do you mean? "'Did she leave the house in anger? "'Did she ask for me?' "'No, Charles, nor for me either.' "'And where on earth is she gone?' "'No one in the house has the remotest idea. "'It is impossible even to guess. "'But she has taken Fanny and Curtis with her.' "'When did she set out?' while rosalind and i were eating our miserable melancholy dinner mr cartwright i find called after you went and was shown as usual to her dressing-room but he did not stay thomas says above half an hour for he both let him in and out soon after he went away fanny was sent for and she and curtis remained with her till a few minutes before dinner-time curtis then went into the kitchen it seems and ordered a tray to be taken to my mother and fanny into the dressing-room and the only message sent to rosalind and me was that mamma was not well and begged not to be disturbed curtis must have seen the coachman and settled everything with him very secretly for not one of the servants except the new stable-boy knew that the carriage was ordered how are we to interpret this helen such a night too as dark as pitch had i not known the way blindfold i should never have got home i left sir gilbert in a rage because i would not sleep there but my heart was heavy i felt restless and anxious at the idea of remaining from you during the night i think it was a presentiment of this dreadful news oh what a day has this been to me so gay so happy in the morning so supremely wretched before night i can remember nothing that i said which could possibly have driven her to leave her home what can it mean helen alas charles i have no power to answer you if asking questions could avail might i not ask what i have done and yet at the moment of her leaving home for the night she sent me word that i was not to disturb her the roads too are so bad had she lamps helen oh yes some of the maids while shutting up the rooms upstairs saw the lights moving very rapidly toward the lodges it is an inexplicable and very painful mystery but go to bed my dearest helen you look most wretchedly ill and miserable ill no i am not ill charles but miserable yes more miserable than i have ever felt since my poor father's death was first made known to me the following morning brought no relief to the anxiety which this strange absence occasioned rosalind joined the brother and sister at breakfast and her jaded looks more than confirmed helen's report of the preceding night charles however hardly saw her sufficiently to know how she looked for he carefully avoided her eyes but if the gentlest and most soothing tone of voice and the expression of her almost tender sympathy in the uneasiness he was enduring could have consoled the young man for all he had suffered and was suffering he would have been consoled the day passed heavily but helen looked so very ill and so very unhappy that charles could not bear to leave her and though a mutual feeling of embarrassment between himself and rosalind made his remaining with them a very doubtful advantage he never quitted them but it was quite in vain that he attempted to renew the occupations which had made the last six weeks pass so delightfully he began to read but helen stopped him before the end of the page by saying i cannot think what is the reason of it charles but i cannot comprehend a single syllable of what you are reading rosalind blushing to the ears and actually trembling from head to foot invited him to play at chess with her without replying a word he brought the table and set up the men before her but the result of the game was that charles gave rosalind checkmate and it was helen only who discovered it at an early hour they separated for the night for the idea of waiting for mrs mowbray seemed equally painful to them all and the morrow's sun rose upon them only to bring a repetition of the sad and restless hours of the day that was past truly might they have said they were weary of conjecture 
for so completely had they exhausted every supposition to which the imagination of either of the party could reach without finding one in which common sense would permit them to repose that by what seemed common consent they ceased to hazard a single maybe more they were sitting with their coffee-cups before them and rosalind was once more trying to fix the attention of charles as well as her own to the chessboard when a lusty pull at the door-bell produced an alarm which caused all the servants in the house to jump from their seats and one half of the chessmen to be overturned by the violent start of rosalind a few moments of breathless expectation followed the house-door was opened and the steps of several persons were heard in the hall but no voice accompanied them helen rose but trembled so violently that her brother threw his arms round her and almost carried her to a sofa rosalind stood beside her looking very nearly as pale as herself while charles made three steps forward and one back again and then stood with his hands clasped and his eyes fixed on the door in a manner which showed that in spite of his manhood he was very nearly as much agitated as his companions the next sound they heard was the voice of the lady of the mansion and she spoke loud and clear as she laid her hand on the lock and partly opening the door said addressing the butler who with half a dozen other serving-men had hurried to answer the bell chivers order all the servants to meet me in this room immediately and fail not to come yourself mowbray had again stepped forward upon hearing his mother's voice but stopped short to listen to her words and having heard them he turned back again and placing himself behind the sofa on which helen sat leaned over it to whisper in her ear let me not see you overcome helen and then i shall be able to bear anything as he spoke the door was thrown widely open and a lady entered dressed entirely in white and very deeply veiled followed by fanny mowbray and mr cartwright a heavy sense of faintness seized on the heart of helen but she stood up and endeavoured to advance rosalind on the contrary stepped back and seated herself in the darkest corner of the room while charles hastily walked towards the veiled lady and in a voice thick from emotion exclaimed my mother yes charles she replied your mother but no longer a widowed desolate mother shrinking before the unnatural rebuke of her son i would willingly have acted with greater appearance of deliberation but your conduct rendered this impossible mr cartwright permit me to present to you this hot-headed young man and his sister as my husband and their father this terrible but expected annunciation was received in total silence mowbray seemed to think only of his sister for without looking towards the person thus solemnly presented to him he turned to her and taking her by the arm said helen you had better sit down fanny who had entered the room immediately after her mother looked pale and frightened but though she fixed a tearful eye on helen she attempted not to approach her mr cartwright himself stood beside his bride or rather a little in advance of her his tall person drawn up to its greatest height meekness gentleness and humility appeared to have his lips in their keeping but unquenchable triumph was running riot in his eyes and flashed upon every individual before him with a very unequivocal and somewhat scornful air of authority this tableau endured till the door was again thrown open and one by one the servants entered forming at last a long line completely across the room when all were in their martial places which here as elsewhere were in as exact conformity to the received order of precedence as if they had been nobles at coronation the lady bride again lifted her voice and addressed them thus i have called you all together on the present occasion in order to inform you that mr cartwright is my husband and your master i hope it is unnecessary for me to say that everything in the family must henceforward be submitted solely to his pleasure and that his commands must on all occasions supersede those of every other person i trust you will all show yourselves sensible of the inestimable blessing i have bestowed upon you in thus giving you a master who can lead you unto everlasting life and as i have married for the glory of heaven so i trust to receive its blessing upon the same and to see every member of my family advancing daily under the guidance of their earthly master's hand to that state 
which shall ensure them favour from their heavenly one in the life to come amen repeat i beg you all of you repeat with me amen though there were some throats there in which amen would have stuck there were enough present besides these to get up a tolerably articulate amen mr cartwright then stepped forward and laying his hat and gloves on the table said aloud let us pray the obedient menials knelt before him all save one this bold exception was the housekeeper a staid and sober person of fifty years of age who during the dozen years she had presided over the household had constantly evinced a strict and conscientious adherence to her religious duties and was moreover distinguished for her uniformly respectful quiet and unobtrusive demeanour but she now stepped forward from her place at the head of the line and said in a low voice but very slowly and distinctly i cannot sir on this occasion kneel down to pray at your bidding this is not a holy business at all mr cartwright and if you were to give me for salary the half of what you are about to wring from the orphan children of my late master deceased just eight calendar months ago i would not take it sir to live here and witness what i cannot but look upon as great sin the good woman then gave a sad look at helen and her brother who were standing together dropped a respectful curtsey as her eyes rested on them and then left the room her sin be on her own head said mr cartwright as he himself knelt down upon a footstool which stood near the table he drew a cambric handkerchief from his pocket gave a preparatory hem and apparently unconscious that miss torrington had darted from the remote corner in which she had been ensconced and followed the housekeeper out of the room remained for a moment with his eyes fixed on mowbray and helen who remained standing it would be a frightful mockery for us to kneel said charles drawing his sister back to the sofa she had quitted sit down with me helen and when we are alone we will pray for strength to endure as we ought to whatever calamity it is heaven's will to try us with the bride was kneeling beside her husband but she rose up and said you are of age charles mowbray and too stiff-necked and wilful to obey your mother but you helen i command to kneel she then replaced herself with much solemnity and helen knelt too while breathing a silent prayer to be forgiven for what she felt to be profanation charles stood for a moment irresolute and then said dropping on his knees beside her heaven will pardon me for your sake dear helen even for kneeling at a service that my heart disclaims mr cartwright hemmed again and began i thank thee that by thy especial calling and election i am placed where so many sinful souls are found who through and by me may be shown the path by which to escape the eternal pains of hell but let thy flames blaze and burn o lord for those who neglect so great salvation pour down upon them visibly thy avenging judgments and let the earth see it and be afraid to me o lord grant power strength and courage to do the work that is set before me let me be a rod and a scourge to the ungodly and let no sinful weakness on the part of the wife whom thou hast given me come across or overshadow the light received from thee for the leading of the rebellious back unto thy paths bless my virtuous wife teach her to be meekly obedient to my word and to thine through me and make her so to value the inestimable mercy of being placed in the guiding hands of thy elected servant that the miserable earthly dross which she maketh over to me in exchange for the same may seem but as dirt and filthiness in her sight may such children as are already born unto her be brought to a due sense of thy exceeding mercy in thus putting it into their mother's heart to choose thine elected servant to lead them through the dangerous paths of youth make them rejoice and be exceedingly glad for the same for so shall it be good in thy sight this terrible thanksgiving 
with all its minute rehearsing of people and of things went on for a considerable time longer but enough has been given to show the spirit of it as soon as it was ended the new master of the mansion rose from his knees and waiting with an appearance of some little impatience till his audience had all recovered their feet he turned to his bride with a smile of much complacency and said mrs cartwright my love where shall i order chivers to bring us some refreshments probably the dining-room fire is out shall we sup here wherever you please answered the lady meekly and blushing a little at the sound of her new name pronounced for the first time before her children this address and the answer to it were too much for helen to endure with any appearance of composure she hid her face in her handkerchief as she passed her mother and giving fanny who was seated near the door a hasty kiss left the room followed by her brother helen ran to the apartment of rosalind and mowbray ran with her forgetful as it seemed of the indecorum of such an unauthorized intrusion at any time and more forgetful still of the icy barrier which had seemed to exist between him and its fair inhabitant since the first expression of his love and of his hope had been so cruelly chilled by her light answer to it but in this moment of new misery everything was forgotten but the common sorrow they found rosalind passionately sobbing and mrs williams the housekeeper weeping very heartily beside her oh my helen exclaimed the young heiress springing forward to meet her williams says they cannot take my money from me we let us divide my fortune and live together williams forgets your age rosalind replied helen but though there was pain in recalling this disqualifying truth there was a glance of pleasure too in the look with which helen thanked her and charles as he gazed on her swollen eyes and working features felt that cruel as she had been to him she must ever be the dearest as she was the best and the loveliest being in the world and there was assuredly comfort even at such a moment in the devoted friendship of rosalind and in the respectful but earnest expressions of affection from the good housekeeper but the future prospects of charles and his sisters was one upon which it was impossible to look without dismay what ought we to do said helen appealing as much to her old servant as her young friend can it be our duty to live with this hypocritical and designing wretch and call him father no replied rosalind vehemently to do so would be shame and sin but where can the poor girls take refuge you forget miss torrington that they are penniless said charles but i am not penniless sir replied rosalind looking at him with an expression of anger that proceeded wholly from his formal mode of address but which he interpreted as a result of a manner assumed to keep him at a distance may i venture to say one word my dear children before i take my leave of you said mrs williams oh yes said helen taking her by the hand i wish you would give us your advice williams we are too young to decide for ourselves at such a dreadful moment as this and for that very reason my dear miss helen i would have you wait a little before you decide at all master charles i beg his pardon mr mowbray is altogether a different consideration and if so be it is any way possible for him i think he should leave and wait for the end elsewhere but for you and poor miss fanny my dear young lady i do think you must learn to bear and forbear till such time as you may leave your misguided mamma and perhaps accept this noble lady's offer and share her great fortune with her for a time i mean miss helen for it can't be but my mistress will come to her senses sooner or later and then she will remember she is a mother and she will remember too take my word for it the noble-hearted but too confiding gentleman who was your father tears flowed from every eye for poor mowbray was no exception at this allusion to the beloved father the gentle master and the friendly guardian but this did not prevent the good woman's words from having their full weight it rather added to it for it brought back the vivid remembrance of one in whose temper there was no gall it will be hard to bear williams replied helen but i do indeed believe that you are right and that for a time at least this cruelly changed house must be our home but do you know that in the midst of all our misery i have one comfort 
i think poor fanny will be restored to us did you see the expression of her lovely face as she looked at us charles even you did not look more miserable and if that be so miss helen it may atone for much for it was a grievous sight to see the poor innocent child taking all mr cartwright's brass for gold if she has got a peep at his cloven foot i shall leave you almost with a light heart for i have grieved over her i will take all the comfort i can williams from your words and will follow your counsel too upon one condition and that is nobody must prevent my setting off betimes to-morrow morning as you and i did rosalind once before for oakley for if my dear godmother advises me as you do williams i will return and quietly put my neck into this hateful yoke and so remain till heaven shall see fit to release me heaven knows i shall not oppose that plan said rosalind eagerly for to my judgment it is the very best you can pursue indeed i think so added charles and dark and dismal as the mornings are i would advise you helen to set out before the time arrives for either accepting or refusing the general summons to join the family breakfast-table and may i go too said rosalind with a glance half reproachful at charles for the manner in which he seemed to avoid speaking to her may you rosalind cried helen for pity's sake do not fancy it possible that i can do anything without you now i should feel that you are forsaking me i never forsake any one that i have ever loved said rosalind with emotion whatever you or any one else may think to the contrary well then we will all three go together but you little thought rosalind when you first came here that you would have to trudge through muddy lanes and under wintry skies for want of a carriage but on this occasion at least we will not ask mr cartwright to permit us the use of one of his then go to bed my dear young ladies said mrs williams that you may be early up to-morrow and let me hear from you miss helen i shall not go from wrexhill at least not till i know a little how you will settle everything i will take mrs freeman's pretty little rooms that you always admire so much master charles and there i will stay for the present oh that beautiful little cottage they call the mowbray arms said rosalind how we shall envy her helen the party then separated for the good housekeeper most strenuously opposed rosalind's proposition of passing the night with her friend you would neither of you sleep a wink ladies if you bide together and now though there is more sorrow with you than such young hearts ought to have yet you will sleep when you have nobody to talk to about it for what makes old folks wake and watch will often make young folks sleep and the good woman's prediction proved true though the sleep that followed the tremendous blow they had received was too feverish and full of dreams to make the waking feel like that delightful return to new life and new joy which the waking of the young should ever be End of Volume 2, Chapter 14